Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, welcome to, I think this is, I, we couldn't work out early whether it's the streets of London with random pillars or somewhere else. But anyway, welcome to wherever it is uh, Dick Whittington is set this year. Uh, don't assume it's London because you just never know with a with a panto. So we are doing a little sort of mini uh, series uh, this week and in a couple of weeks, uh, just heading into Christmas. Uh, next week is going to be brilliant. We've got our carol service, so it's going to be uh, the kids are doing the nativity through the service, and there'll be carols, and so it'd be a brilliant thing to to come along to. Yeah, Carol's got the idea. There we go. Just hands, and um, do do invite friends. Just the reason why we're asking to book is so that we know how many people are coming. Uh, not because it matters to us how many people are coming, but just so that we can work out how to keep everyone safe and healthy. So that's the reason for that. Um, but anyway, this morning I am talking about finding joy in uncertain times. Finding joy in uncertain times. So I'm going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 56. Feel free to follow along if you have a Bible or a Bible on your phone. Otherwise, uh, just listen along as I read it to you. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting that might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary, Mary replied. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and was greeted by Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. We live in uncertain times, don't we? Two years ago, none of us have heard, had heard of anything called a, no, a novel coronavirus, much less anticipated what was lying ahead of us. The, context, the, the concept of social distancing hadn't been invented yet. Lockdown was something that only happened in prisons when prisoners rioted, or briefly in a building where there's a security issue. The only people who regularly wore face masks were doctors, nurses, medical professionals, or dentists. And when you walked into a bank, you were asked to remove your facial covering because the only people who walked into banks with masks on were bank robbers. No one had ever come up with the phrase hands, face, space, or words like furlough. Most of us hadn't really had to get our heads around thinking about working from home and conference calling, whether that's on our own or with other people in the house needing uh, Wi-Fi internet bandwidth. Two, twice weekly COVID testing for children going to secondary school wasn't a thing. Until a few months ago, none of us have realised that the increase in temperature of one and a half degrees to our climate would have such devastating consequences. Remember when price, energy prices were stable and your energy provider probably wasn't at risk of going under? Remember when Old Trafford was called a fortress? Two weeks ago, unless you knew the Greek alphabet or were familiar with Greek life uh, in North American uh, higher education institutes, you'd probably never heard of the letter Omicron. And if you had, it wouldn't be because it was potentially going to put a bit of a downer on Christmas celebrations with families. Just thinking about all that uncertainty, there, there's just so much of it going around. How are, you do, how are you doing? If I'm being honest, most of the time I'm fine. And occasionally I just get myself caught in a little bit of a sort of a whirlpool of, you know, when's this going to end? Uh, and just, you know, overthinking things and not sleeping great, just as I sort of worry about things that I have absolutely no control over at all. And I know I'm not the only one. We all respond to change and we all respond to uncertainty uh, differently. Some people love change and uncertainty. They kind of thrive on it, particularly if it's their idea. Some of us get really busy. Uh, other of us kind of dial out and disengage. And for some of us, it, straggers, it, tr it triggers stress, anxiety and fear. And yet in the middle of that, some, some people have found joy in the midst of all this uncertainty. And I'm talking about real joy, not kind of Christian way joy, but I'm talking about proper deep joy. But for the rest of us, how do we find joy in the middle of this storm of uncertainty? Well, the passage we've read uh, just now uh, gives us real pointers as to how Mary found joy in what was for her an extraordinarily uncertain time.
So just to set a little bit of context, Elizabeth, who we heard about in the beginning, she is a relative of Mary. She is married to Zachariah. He's a priest and he's been leading worship in the temple. And the angel of the Lord's appeared to him and said, you're going to have uh, a son and he's going to be called John. And um, Zachariah goes, well, that's not going to work because she's too old. And because he didn't believe her, uh, he is, the angel um, strikes him sort of dumb, deaf and mute. I'm sorry, mute, uh, until the baby's born. And, um, and it's interesting contrasting his lack of faith with Mary's faith when the same angel appears to her and says, you're going to have a son. And it's slightly more complicated for her for reasons uh, that are fairly obvious. So for Mary, this is such an uncertain time for a number of reasons. I'm just going to run through those with you. The first is she is unmarried. She's betrothed, but she is unmarried. So she is, in, uh, she is, she is betrothed to Joseph. Joseph is known as a righteous man. A righteous man um, contextually was someone known as a Sadiq. Sadiq was someone who kind of people in the community would go to when they needed advice. He was quite a lot older than Mary. And so it's no coincidence that when... When Mary announces that she's pregnant, she, is, she then, it says, I think it said, hurriedly goes to see Elizabeth. Well, the, reading the context into that, it's because uh, this is the ancient, uh, the, 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 the Middle East, in a time when there was a pride and shame culture where it would have been totally unacceptable for a woman to be alone in a room with a man, much less be pregnant. Uh, except she's saying, well, it's all right, uh, Joseph didn't get me pregnant, it was God. So not only is she pregnant, but she's also blasphemous. It would have been hugely controversial at the time. Basically, Joseph's reputation as a righteous man is now called into question because either uh, he slept with her and she's pregnant and they're now making up this story about God being involved and angels and all the rest of it, in which case he is not a good moral man, or he is engaged to somebody who has, who has slept with somebody else, which makes him a poor judge of character and not a righteous man either. So his reputation is irreparable. Joseph's reputation never recovered from this. If you look through the scriptures, they, they talk about, isn't this Mary's son, which is a huge insult because normally you'd be known as the son of your father. But his reputation has been so ruined by what's happened that he's not really referred to again. So there's uncertainty around her pregnancy. She goes to visit Mary, uh, Elizabeth. And the reason she goes to visit Elizabeth, I would suggest, is because it gives the village about three months to get used to the idea and calm down, just a little bit, maybe not completely. Added to all this uncertainty, there is even more uncertainty to come. Uh, an uncomfortable journey uh, traveling to Bethlehem to register for a census, giving birth in, a squal in squalid conditions far from home, shepherds arriving wild-eyed with stories about angel choirs, astronomers arriving with strange symbolic prophetic gifts, a paranoid ruler intent, upon the uh, intent on the discovery of this child and its extermination, in other words, killing the child and then having to flee to a foreign land. Now, it would be fair to say that Mary was well-versed and would become increasingly well-versed in uncertainty. And yet, even in the midst of all that uncertainty around her own pregnancy and her own situation, Mary's response is marked by joy. Uh, she responds, doesn't she, to Elizabeth's welcome uh, by saying, My spirit rejoices. 
before we look at how she rejoices and what we can learn from that, it's probably worth just for a moment uh, uh, unpacking the difference between joy and happiness. See, happiness tends to be something that is externally triggered, like when Fulham win, and is based on other people. Don't laugh. Thank you. Uh, uh, things, places, thoughts, and events. Whereas joy is a more, more consistent, internally cultivated practice. So let's look at how Mary has built this reservoir of joy in her life. Well, the first thing is she has learned to find perspective. And what I mean by that, if you look at verse 48, is she refers to her humble state. And there is so much packed into that phrase, humble state. Like I said before, she's pregnant, she's engaged, she's not married, she's going to be almost certainly accused of adultery, her fiancé's reputation is going to be tanked forever. Another way of saying that is she, when she talks about her humble state is that she is realistic about herself and her situation. And if we want to cultivate joy, we need to start by uh, getting real. And in this part of the world, and I mean by that Surrey, uh, that can be quite difficult because there's a lot of kind of keeping up appearances and I'm fine, thank you very much, that, that kind of culturally happens here. And the problem with that is that's not actually being authentic, being who we really are. Trying to be someone we're not, I've found, is just exhausting. Uh, by nature, as I've sort of probably said before, I have a tendency to like to want to please people. I want people to, uh, to like me. But you know what I'm learning is not everyone is going to like me. As hard as that is for me to imagine, not everybody I meet is going to like me. And I'm coming to a place where I'm okay uh, with that. And joy comes when we acknowledge that we're more than our biggest mistakes or our greatest hits. I don't know about you, but I would rather have a handful of people who love me for who I really am than a chorus of people who like a mirage. Being humble... So, is about being who we really are, warts and all, and being okay with that. And Mary was okay with what was going on in her life. It may have been difficult, but she had come to terms with her and acknowledged her humble state. And the first thing, if we want to cultivate joy, is we, could, we would do well to do the same. The second thing is she practices gratitude by reminding herself of what God has done for her. In verse 49, she says, The mighty one has done great things for me. She then goes on to list some of the things he's done, not just for her, but for others. And later, after the wide-eyed shepherds have left, we read that it says Mary treasured up all these things in her heart and pondered on them. I'm trying to build a journal of all the good things that happened to me so that when things are difficult, I can go back, I can look at them, and I can remind myself that actually life is okay for the most part, most of the time. It's often been said, hasn't it, that gratitude is the gateway to joy. And gratitude is not a feeling. It's a decision that we can all practice and get better at. And I'm trying to take, take time every day to be thankful for at least three things. It's different three things every day, but I'm trying to find three things that I'm thankful for. And I'm trying to be really specific about them. So I woke up a little bit early this morning, uh, and I was just lying in bed, and it was really windy outside. And I just was like, 
Lord, thank you for the wind. Thank you that I can hear it. Thank you that I'm inside in the warm, uh, in, my, in, a, in a home with my family. Thank you that I get to hear the wind. Thank you that the wind reminds me of your presence uh, with me. And thank you that you are mightier than the strongest wind. And I just went through those things. Immediately I started to feel a little bit more joyful because I just practiced gratitude and for me it helps to externalize that often I will just write a note or I'll take a photograph of a beautiful scene or something so that I've externalized and when we do that uh, psychologists tell us that helps us to remember it to kind of register with us Uh, the other day I wrote the uh, sorry I read the Christmas story in each of the gospels just straight through and I was reminded again of just this it is the most extraordinary story that the creator of the universe would choose to become a vulnerable baby and be born in the circumstances which he was and to grow up and to walk amongst us and to show us uh, what God is like. It is just the most extraordinary, extraordinary story. And as I sat there and I thought about it, I just, I just wanted to worship because I was like this... You know, we get so carried away sometimes with Christmas and the excitement of presents. I love presents. I'm a gift person. Um, But what an extraordinary gift that the creator of the universe would give up the throne of heaven for a feeding trough for animals. That he'd give up the worship of heaven to be rejected by the people that he came to save. That he would choose to die on a cross so that we could be forgiven and so that we could step into this invitation of this relationship with God that could start now and carry on forever. Sometimes um, I walk with friends and I'm just thankful for friends that I walk with. When I go walking, I try to find one thing each, again, each time I go walking that I haven't noticed before and just again, I just try to be thankful for that. Uh, You could be someone who walks to work or to college, or uh, just by yourself. But try to find that one thing that you can be thankful for and try pushing into that. Third thing, Mary reminds herself of the truth about who God is and what he's done, regardless of her circumstances. Verse 50 to 55. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. When we remember uh, who God is and what he's done, we're reminded that we are connected to something that is so much bigger and more extraordinary than we can imagine. When we reflect on it, it reminds us that God is God and we're not. And thank God for that. That's a huge relief and an incredible source of joy, at least for me. We're not on our own. We are part of the great unfolding story where the author sees us, he knows us, he loves us, and he's with us. And that is an incredible thought. In my first job before, um, well, after I got ordained, I, walked, I worked in a parish in North London. I've talked about it many times before. And there was this lady 
who was part of the congregation. She was, she'd come over um, from Nigeria in the Windrush, and uh, she was the most joyful person I've ever met in my life. I mean, she was like, she walked into a room and you could all kind of, everyone felt more joyful. You know, the, you know those people, they just kind of, they're like joy bombs. They just release joy everywhere they go. And I was talking to one of the other, they called them aunties. And I was talking to one of the aunties about this auntie. And I said, she's amazing, isn't she? Just, she's the most joyful person I've ever met in my life. And this auntie says to me, would you know her story? And I said, no. And she said, uh, in the 1990s, uh, she had a teenage son, and he was walking home from school. And he was attacked by a group of white uh, National Front teenagers, and they murdered him and set him on fire. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you're like, how that happened there, and this is what I'm seeing and experiencing in front of me. How, like, how does that happen? How do you get from there to there? And so I was, uh, I was talking to this auntie, uh, the auntie who this happened to, a, a couple of weeks later, and I said, I, I had no idea about your story. And I said, how is it that you are the most joyful person that I've met ever, given your story? And she said... and. And I wrote them down at the time, and they are the points of this talk this morning. She said, I just am real about the situation. I'm real about my story. She said, I practice being grateful every day. And she said, I remember what God's done for me. And that is how I am full of joy. So if we want to know how to be joyful people in uncertain times, I know all of us, at different times, have experienced real uncertainty, real difficulty. Those are three keys. They're not the only keys, but they're the three keys from this passage that we can take away to help us to find joy in uncertain times. Finding perspective and being real, practicing gratitude, and remembering the truth about who God is and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are with us. Thank you so much that whatever is going on in our lives, uh, you see us, you know us, you love us, and you are with us. Father, whatever is happening in our worlds at the moment, whatever is happening in our lives, in the detail of our lives, would you help us to be people who are real about our situations? who practice gratitude and who remember who you are and what you've done, that we would be people who are characterized by joy even in uncertain times. In Jesus' name, amen. So sometimes the best response is to stand and to worship. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to sing, I think, Joy to the World again, is that? It would seem appropriate. So why don't we stand together and Peter's going to lead us in, a, in, in that song and then we'll finish. <laughs>